Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that Connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. Morning. Morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms. Man, we're thankful for you, thankful for moms. It's a good day to celebrate moms, and moms should be celebrated every day. Moms should be celebrated every day. You know, for my, my wife and I, we're very excited because today we've got all of our big kids home from college, and so we were reclaiming our row in church, you know, and uh, it's great. So, you know, uh, uh, we're just thankful to be together with our church family, and, and so for all the moms, we're just so grateful for you. And happy Mother's Day to you. For anyone who's brand new today at Big Valley Grace, we want you to know we're so glad you're here. Today's a great day to be in church together. We're going through a series about the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to continue in that. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can come to the altar room. It's a room right over here where we pray for people after the gathering. And if you need prayer, come there. But we've got Bibles in there, and we'd love to give you a Bible as a gift. As we go through this series, we have a number of resources that are available to be helpful. The first is a bookmark, and these are available all out in the lobby throughout the campus. And it's a daily reading plan for four months. And so if you want to read through the Gospel of Luke with the church family, you can follow along right there. If you would prefer to receive a text reminder to your phone, you can just simply text Luke to the number on the screen there, 833-577-1604, and you'll get a daily text reminder about the passage that matches with the bookmark, and we'll all read through together. We also have this resource available. Uh, it's a very great resource. It is a scripture journal. On one side, it's got the Gospel of Luke. On the other side, it's just blank. So that as you're reading and praying and thinking and studying, either on your own or on the weekend, you can have a resource to use, and these are available out in the nook. And this one right here is for you, my friend, right there. All right? So there you go. Happy Mother's Day to you. All right. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us right now live as well online, and we're going to get into the gospel. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, as we spend time in your word, Lord, would this not be merely educational? Would it not be merely informational? But God, would this moment be transformational? Would our lives be different because we've spent time in the word of God and we have spent time with God together as a church family, in our own lives, in our households, and together as a community? And so, Lord, would you work powerfully right now God, we want you to work. We're going to expect that you're going to be working. And would you use your word and your Holy Spirit to really lead us and guide us so that this time might be the best time for you. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. amen. Well, at last week we began in the Gospel of Luke, and today we're going to be in chapter 2, but I do want to read the first four verses of chapter 1 again to help set the, a reminder of why do we even have this, this Gospel from Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, and they have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So the Gospel of Luke was written for a person named Theophilus that they might have certainty about Jesus, that there would be an orderly account, that in the orderly account there would be confidence that what we read in the orderly account would be true, and would be true about the life of Jesus. Last week, I shared about how Luke was a doctor, and a good friend of mine who was a pastor and is a doctor reached out to me this week and said, you know, I don't think it's quite accurate to say that Luke is a doctor. I think it'd be more accurate to say that Luke is a physician. So I thought, well, what does the Bible say about Luke? So in Colossians 4.14, we read, Luke, the beloved Physician. Okay, so Luke's a physician, all right? And he's also a missionary. He's a physician missionary. And he comes to Christ uh, by the Apostle Paul. And he joins Paul, Apostle Paul, on his missionary journey. And what we have here is an orderly account of Jesus' life. And specifically, what we're going to look at today in chapter 2, which is super appropriate here on Mother's Day is about the infancy of Jesus and the early life, so the birth and the boyhood of Jesus. We originally were gonna start the Gospel of Luke in June, we moved it back up to May, and lo and behold, this passage lines up perfect with what we're doing here today. So observations from the early life of Jesus for the family of God, that's what we're gonna look at today, observations from the early life of Jesus for the family of God. Now. It is Mother's Day, and this text does have a mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, in it. But it also has the father, Joseph, the earthly father, Joseph. And it also has multiple generations. We're going to see Simeon and Anna. And so really, this text, it, it, it has the full scope of the family of God represented in it. And so wherever you are in the family of God, I believe that this text is going to be uh, a great encouragement for all of us today as we get into it. The time frame is the birth of Jesus. The location is Nazareth. So that's the town that Jesus grows up in. And the first observation from the early life of Jesus for the family of God that we'll pull out of here, number one, is the accountability of parents unto a holy God. The accountability of parents unto a holy God. For, for every parent, parenting is an assignment that's given by God. God, God gives that job out. He's the one who gives that job, the job of parenting. And for parents, the real issue is, are we aware? Are we aware that there is a holy God? And are we aware that that holy God has given the assignment of parenting to us? And are we aware that we are held accountable as parents unto a holy God? In verse 21, so we're going to go from 21 to 52. In, so Luke chapter 2, verse 21 to 52, that's the, that's the part we're going to cover today. 
In verse 21, it says, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised. As I read the text, there's going to be moments I need to explain. This is one of them. Circumcision was very significant in the Old Testament Jewish law. Circumcision was a sign of God's promise of salvation for all who would believe. And Joseph and Mary are seen here being obedient to the righteous requirements of the Old Testament Jewish law. And so at the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You can read in chapter one in the Gospel of Luke about that account. Verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. There's actually an entire chapter dedicated to the laws of purification in your Bible, in the Old Testament. It's in Leviticus chapter 12, if you would like to read that. But here what it's referring to is 40 days of purification from Mary, the mother of Jesus, after childbirth. So when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, it's important for us to understand that Jesus was born under the Old Testament law. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so Jesus is born under the law that he might be able to save those who were under the law. Jesus also saves those who were beyond the law. We live beyond the Old Testament law now. We have the covenant of the blood of Christ. And so Jesus is the redeemer for all. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This would have been a gift that Joseph and Mary bring, a sacrificial gift and offering that they bring in worship to God. And so big picture, what are we seeing here? We are seeing two parents underneath Old Testament law doing very specific actions to meet the righteous requirements of the Old Testament law so that they might honor a holy God that they recognize that they are accountable to. Well, we live beyond the Old Testament law. We're in the new covenant of Christ and his blood. So how does this apply for us? Well, if we rise above and just look, what are they doing? Well, simply, they're recognizing God is holy. He's a holy God. They're recognizing God has given them the assignment of parenting. And they recognize that they are held accountable to a holy God for their parenting. And for all of us who are parents, that is something that we can take on for ourselves as well. To be aware that we are held accountable as parents before a holy God. So that's the first observation from the early life of Jesus for the family of God. That is the accountability of parents unto a holy God. The second is the supporting environment of a God-centered community. It isn't God's you know, best plan for parents to be isolated, but that parents, as they raise children, would be a part of a God-centered community, a part of the church family. You know, the church is a multi-generational group of people. The church is a multi-ethnic group of people. The church is a multi-gifted group of people. And here we're going to see how multiple generations come together as a a community contributing to the environment of a God-centered community. 
Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This term here, consolation of Israel, this is a title for the Messiah. And Luke does a number of things to present titles regarding the Messiah. And if you'd like to pursue more about what is this title, the consolation of Israel, I would encourage you to read in your Bibles in Isaiah chapter 40. And you'll see where the consolation of Israel is discussed. So waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke makes quite a note about the work of the Holy Spirit even multiple times up to this point in Luke chapter 2. And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So a very interesting thing that God had done with this man, Simeon. He's older in years. He's a righteous and devout follower of God. God had actually revealed to him that he would see the Messiah and that he wouldn't die until he had actually seen the Messiah. A very specific, interesting thing that God had done in his life. Now, what I want to make note of here is the Holy Spirit's working in Simeon's life regarding baby Jesus. But the parents, Joseph and Mary, would not have been aware of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Simeon regarding their son. And that's something, I think, for parents that would be an encouragement to us, that we're not always aware of how God's working in, our, in the lives of our children. We're not always fully aware of the work of the Holy Spirit that is happening, and that should be an encouragement to us, especially when things get a little dicey, that we would know, you know what? God can be at work beyond even what I can see. He can be at work beyond what I can understand. And we see that God is at work, and Mary and Joseph did not know that God was at work in the life of Simeon regarding their son. Verse 27, And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. This scene is not too dissimilar from what we literally just did where parents brought their children up in front, you know, their children up in front of the church family and the leaders of the church prayed over these parents and over these children. Pretty special to see. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, now what Simeon's about to say is actually a song. There are five songs around the infancy of Jesus. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, sings a song. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings a song. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sings a song. The angels sing a song and the shepherd hear it. And then now we have Simeon in the temple. He sings a song. And here is his song, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. God is being worshipped. God is being worshipped. This is a song regarding the salvation of God. And Simeon is publicly de declaring his worship of God who has provided this salvation. Now what's quite impressive to me is how satisfied Simeon is with seeing the Christ child. He doesn't require any other proof from God 
from his perspective, God made a promise. God has kept a promise. Now he can die. That's his perspective, is that God's kept his promise to me. You know, it's, my hope has been fulfilled, and God told me I wouldn't die until that happened, and so, you know, I can die now. Well, one of the things I want to make note about this environment is just how a family is in the temple and the worship of God is happening. And I just want to talk a little bit about family worship. Family worship is so incredibly important. And one of the things that I think about as a spouse and as a parent is I'm trying to pay attention to what's the spiritual temperature of the family worship in my own household. Is my family worshiping the Lord? Are Bibles being opened and read? Are members of my family praying? Are, me are members of my family serving the Lord? And to be aware of that and to ask God to help me as a leader in my home, a leader to my home, for the glory of God, God help me to be someone who's going to encourage family worship in my own household. And I would encourage you to, to make note of family worship in your own home and to encourage family worship, to encourage the family to come together to worship the Lord. Verse 33, and his father and his mother, so Joseph and Mary, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, what Simeon had said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, now very specific to mom here, behold, this child is appointed. In other words, Jesus is God the Father's Plan A. He's plan A. He's the first best plan. Jesus is plan A. God has appointed this child. For the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Quite, quite a message that's given to the mom here, given to Mary. Simeon is providing very specific teaching and instruction within this very blessing. There would be division because of this child, Jesus. There would be opposition surrounding this child, Jesus. There would be grief and pain that was going to be a part of Mary, the mom's story, because of this child, Jesus. God was going to reveal the hearts of many people because of this child, Jesus. Now, Take note here, just because the child was Jesus didn't mean the mom's life was going to be easy. And like Jesus was a perfect child. So that should inform our families that we should expect some level of difficulty. We should expect some level of pain, grief, suffering, hardship, division, opposition. Why? Why? Well, because when God is involved... People are either submitting to God or people are not submitting to God. There are only two teams, God's team and not God's team. And Simeon here is forecasting for Mary, this very young mother, that there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. And God for, God's word forecasts the truth of God for our own lives and for our own families as well. God doesn't promise that life is going to be easy. Now I want to share with you a little bit from my own family, from, from the experience of the Boons. The most difficult thing that my wife and I have done is raise kids. 
And God has called us to be a very large family. He doesn't call everyone to be a large family, but he's called us to be a large family. We have nine children. We're a family of 11. And God has called us to welcome children into our home through two ways, the good old-fashioned way and the California foster care system. And both ways have their difficulties. Please hear me. Both ways have their difficulties. While there are many moments of incredible joy that we have with our children, we have also experienced very long seasons of grief and pain as parents. In good moments, we celebrate. And our family does a lot of celebrating. We know how to party. But there's also tremendous growth that comes through hardships, through broken relationships, through unmet expectations, through crushed dreams. And God uses these hard situations in our lives to draw us closer and closer to him so that we will see him only and desire him only and see that he is the only solution. So if you are here and your, your family has experienced trouble, your family has experienced a hard path, we just want to say, we're here with you. We're here with you. And our family has also. And we can encourage one another, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And let's keep going after Jesus. So this passage shows a man, Simeon. And I would say this, the church needs Simeons. Older men, righteous, devout to the Lord, who make a part of the community of faith and the God-centered environment that babies are born into and can grow up in. Now we're going to see a woman. Verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And what we have in Anna, who is an older woman who's devoted to the Lord and a part of this God-centered community, we have an incredible faithful witness and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lord God, Jesus Christ now entering the scene. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she is dedicated to consistent prayer. One of the verses that God has used in my life to encourage me this calendar year has been Acts chapter 6, verse 4. It says about the apostles, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what it's caused me to consider is where are the environments in my life where I am pursuing the Lord in prayer? And how can I pursue the Lord in prayer in more environments in my life? throughout my day more often, when I'm with other people more often, that will continue to encourage one another, let's seek the Lord in prayer. So it continues regarding Anna, verse 38, and coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have this woman, her faithful life of worship is seen here, of fasting, of prayer, in the environment of the temple where the people of God are coming together and she, this, this life is now publicly spilling over to impact others around her. So her life is now overflowing to the people around her. She's giving thanks to God. She is speaking about God to everyone who is present about the promise that God has made to provide a redeemer. Fortunately, I have lots of examples. Let me share a few of, of people I've observed in my own life who their life has spilled over. One is my own dad. My dad made a commitment early on in his life that he wanted to read the Bible 100 times through. 
And he met that commitment. He, he read the Bible 100 times through. And that has spilled over his life to so many people for so long. My earliest memory of my mother is when I was very young and I got up out of my bedroom and I walked down the hall into the living room and I saw my mother there sitting in a chair with her Bible in her lap, a cup of coffee by the window. And that was a typical scene that I grew up seeing. And that has spilled over out of her life to impact many people. My wife, Sarah, she has a practice of every day reading a devotional and then writing in a journal and then she will take photos of it and she will send it to the four older boys in my family. Those four older boys are the four who have cell phones, so she texts it to them, all right? And what is she doing? She's showing the four older boys in my family, mom spent time with Jesus today, reading a devotional and writing in a journal. And it's just such a clear daily encouragement for them to do the same. You know, I've had the really great privilege of experiencing a spiritual legacy in my family. But that is not the experience that everyone has had. And what is important for us to see is that the community of Jesus, the church of Jesus, this is to be that environment for others. That this would be an environment where there are spiritual legacies being created and that people can be welcomed into this environment. And they can be welcomed in to having a spiritual legacy for themselves. And this community is full of Simeons. It's full of Annas. It's full of Josephs. It's full of Marys. And it's full of babies. And we saw that today, right? It's full of babies. And this is a community. And all I would say is this is a community that you can be a part of. That you can be a part of. So number two, the supporting environment of a God-centered community. Other observations we make from the early life of Jesus for the family of God. Number three, the responsibility of parents to raise children in a godly manner. The responsibility of parents to raise children in a godly manner. The time frame here switches in this next part of the passage from the birth of Jesus to the boyhood of Jesus. And it changes locations to Nazareth. This is the town Jesus grew up in. There's a time gap we're going to see in the text from six weeks old in Jesus' life to 12 years old. So in verse 39, it says, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So Joseph and Mary are heading back to what we would call normal life, normal everyday life. They establish a God-centered household to raise their son. The scriptures very clearly tell us about Joseph and Mary and how they followed the Lord faithfully. Joseph, in Matthew 1.19, is titled a just man. He's a just man. Mary, in Luke 1.38, is titled a servant of the Lord. So in this environment of a God-centered household, you know, a child has the opportunity to develop and to grow in healthy ways. Verse 40 helps us see some of that. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Pretty special to see this description about how baby Jesus begins to grow as a child. The location now changes to the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And that verse helps us understand what kind of home was this. This was a home that was dedicated to worshiping the Lord. And it's very informative to us of what type of parents set up a type of house. 
and verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, so now we've jumped forward in the time span of Jesus to he's 12, he's a 12-year-old boy. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast, feast was ended, and as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. And you may be thinking, how's it possible that they lost the Messiah, you know? They, they, they lost, you know, 12-year-old Jesus Christ, you know? How'd they do that? Well, what's the context here? This, it was a bit of a journey for them to go to Jerusalem, and so families would travel together. Neighborhoods would travel together. A town would travel together. Nearby towns are traveling. So there's like a caravan of people, and, and you know, they're, they're, not, they're you know, traveling in different groups, and so... You know, mom's traveling in one part of the group and thinking, you know, 12-year-old boy Jesus is with dad, you know, and dad's traveling in one part of the group thinking, you know, 12-year-old boy Jesus is with mom, right? I mean, we got to cut him some slack. There's only 11 people in my family and I lose people. I have literally left the church, gotten all the way home, and one of the team members at the church calls me and says, Hey, you forgot one of your kids. <laughs> and I'm only dealing with 11 people in my family, all right? I mean, it'd be cool if that had only happened once to me. <laughs> so we'll cut, we'll cut the Christ family a little slack here, okay? <laughs> Verse 44. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey and began... To search for him. I, I can only imagine what this conversation sounds like. As these two parents are realizing they lost the Messiah. I, I wonder how many of our families would be encouraged just to hear this conversation between Joseph and Mary. I'm sure no one was upset. <laughs> no one raised their voice. No one made an assumption about the other person or an accusation. No, no, no. I'm sure none of that happened. It says, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, we could, I, I guess, focus on the fact that they lost their son for three days. But I think that it would be better to focus on where was their son found after three days. And where the son was found is in an environment where the men of the community of faith are sitting together. They're discussing the word of God. They're listening to one another. They're asking questions. They're growing in their knowledge of God and his word. That's where they find Jesus, in that environment. Being that it was Passover, there would have been visiting rabbis, scholars, theologians, so like the best of the best are gathered in this moment. And they're, you know, Jesus is found right there in their midst. And Jesus is engaged in the discussion. And this scene, it informs men of the importance of including boys in the dialogue about God and his word. And for our context... It is essential that Christian men are discipling young boys. If we want to see young boys become men of God, then we need to surround young boys with men of God. In verse 47, 
It says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so this involvement of Jesus is extraordinary. It's extra special. The connection that Jesus has with his father, God. You know, Jesus is the only one who did this perfectly. To have this perfect relationship with the father, God. The Old Testament says... You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the New Testament reiterates that. And Jesus is the only one who does this perfectly. And so Jesus, at age 12, has a perfect love for the Father God. And it's spilling over out of his life at age 12. And that should help us understand that even at a young age, a child can have a relationship with God. A child can have a relationship with God, even as a young age. And we will do well to encourage the love of God... To children, into young people that will create an environment for this and that there would be men and women who can be examples for boys and girls to look at and say, this is what it is to follow God. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your mother and I have been searching for you in great Distress. Now, this is an understandable perspective that Joseph and Mary have in this moment, okay? But Jesus answers their question with a question. In verse 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Why, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? What a, what a statement from a 12-year-old boy. I wonder how many 12-year-old boys are making statements like this. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now, I, I would just say here, you know, there's a need for families to have an awareness of the work of God that's happening in their life. Talking about how God is working in each other's lives. And here we see, you know, the importance for parents to really be prayerfully discerning what's going on in the lives of their children and to be paying attention to the activity of God in their children. You know, God's at work in our children's lives and we can seek God to understand what is God up to with our kids. Now, we're going to see the location change here. It's going to go back to the childhood hometown of, of Nazareth in verse 51. And he, Jesus, went down with them, that's Joseph and Mary, and they came to Nazareth, and, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. This, this text is such a picture of the environment of a God-centered community and how the environment of a God-centered community is so helpful for families, for parents, for kids. And the importance that there are Simeons in the church and Anna's in the church and Mary's in the church and Joseph's in the church to really help parents really have, do this responsibility well. It's a tough job to parent and that there would be a great encouragement around parents to be able to parent well. So now we're going to give the fourth one here, this fourth observation. It's real simple and it's the impact. It's the impact of godly parents on a child, the impact of a godly home on a child, and the impact of a godly community on a child. Jesus had a Deuteronomy 6-5 relationship with the Father, which says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Jesus had that kind of relationship with the Father. Joseph and Mary 
they had a Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 type of parenting. And that's the type of home that they established in a type of community that was doing the same. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 says, You shall teach these commandments, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them, of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall buy them, bind them on a sign, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is describing parenting. It's describing a home. It's describing a community that is absolutely focused on the Lord. And when a child experiences that type of parenting, that type of home, that type of community, man, there's a huge impact on children. And we see in verse 52, it says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased in four things, four areas in his life. Wisdom, that's in his mind, that's mentally. He grew mentally. And in stature, that's in his body, that's physically. Jesus grew physically. And in favor with God, that's in his spirit, that's spiritually. Jesus grew spiritually. And with man, that is socially, right? That's in relationships with others. So Jesus grew socially. What a picture of 12-year-old Jesus describing how 12-year-old boy Jesus grew. This is a great picture to understand how did he grow. And it's also a great picture to ask some questions, how are we doing health-wise? How are we doing in our health mentally, increasing in wisdom in the Lord? How are we doing in our health in our bodies, physically, in our health before the Lord? How are we doing in our health spiritually, in our, in our health, growing in spiritual, you know, our spiritual relationship with the Lord? How are we doing in our relationships? How, how's our health socially doing with our relationships with other people? It's also a framework that we can use, even considering those who are in our household. This is a framework that you can use to be an encouragement to people around you, to really encourage that people would follow Jesus and they would follow Jesus in a way that is healthy and impacts their whole life. That our whole lives would be following Jesus. And this is a way, this is a framework that we can encourage one another in. So we've looked at these observations from the early life of Jesus for the family of God. There's four of them. Number one is the accountability of parents unto a holy God. Number two is the supporting environment of a God-centered community. Number three is the responsibility of parents to raise children in a godly manner. And number four is the impact of, a godly, of godly parents on a child and the impact of a godly home and a godly community on a child. And what was on my heart for us as a church family after we've looked at this text is simply this. In your household, households are all different shapes and sizes. Household might be a household of one. Might be a household of two. Might be a household of three. It might be a household of many. But in your household, maybe you're recognizing that you need prayer. And I'd like to end our time praying for households who are desiring prayer for their household. And it might be that you've been experiencing some hardship. You've been experiencing some pain. You've been experiencing some grief, maybe some suffering. You've been experiencing some things that have not been easy in your household. And you're recognizing we need prayer for our household. And if that is you, I would just encourage you, if you would like prayer for your household, just to stand right now. And I'm going to close our time of teaching in the word for praying for those who are desiring prayer for their household. So if that is you, please just stand right now. And we're going to close our time praying for those 
who are desiring prayer for their household, okay? All right. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, you see every person who is standing. You see all those who are standing. You know all of the stories for every person who is standing right now. You know the things that have been going great in their household, and you know the things that have been not doing so hot. The stuff that's been difficult. The things that have been hard. The places of pain, suffering, grief. The place where hope has been lost. The place where dreams have been crushed. God, you know all of the hardship. You see it all. And God, what I'm asking right now is that you would help those who are standing on behalf of their household that they are standing, seeking you on behalf of their household and that you would bless them. God, for these who stand, that they would know that you love them, that you want to be involved with their life. You want to be a part of their story. You want to direct their story. And that the things that they're experiencing that are incredibly difficult, that God, you are with them through those difficulties that you are with them, you are present, and you are available during and through those difficulties. And so, God, I just ask for your blessing. I pray for these households, and God, ask that you would bless them in the name of Jesus Christ, in all God's family said, amen.